Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I'm your host, Mary Kay, and I'm joined by a fantastic panel this morning. A big good morning to Lucy Thackrow from Channel 7. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming in. Got Jen Browning from ABC News. Hi, pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you're here, Jen. Thank and you. And finally, Mel Dinyaski from Fox Sports for, I think, the third time. Uh, ooh, I'm not sure. Yeah, second time. IRL, I would say, in real life. And then you were on our first episode as well. So yes. you're like a Ladies Who League regular. You're oh like my co-host. I do love I, it. Do I get like a little ribbon or? I'm actually planning something. So not ribbons. You'll get maybe a mug. I'm thinking Ladies Who oh. League mugs and maybe for different sports. But we'll get to that later. Love it. It's been a massive week in sport this week. So I thought we'd start off by what's going on in the paper or by what's not going on. So I'm a little bit grumpy this morning. It might be because I had to wait up till 10.15 last night to watch the Gillaroos play. Uh, Channel 9 came under a bit of criticism last night for not showing the game live and for replaying it after the men's game. Lucy, what were your thoughts on that? Would you have rather have seen the women's game first? Absolutely. I mean, it's just... It's so difficult when you want, you know, the women's teams to, to get ahead in the women's sport to get that kind of support. And it just is so lacking a lot of the time. And especially, you know, on a Friday night, less people are likely to stay up late like that. If people know the results, you know, it's not going to happen. And considering the fact that it was such an exciting game, a lot of people really missed out and it just needs that support. You know, there's the space, there's the airtime, you know, have a look at what else was playing on any of the other channels. Like it just, it, it should have happened. And I also think that what should have happened is in this morning's Daily Telegraph, instead of a tiny little column about the Gillaroos game while we had three full-page spreads about the Kangaroos, I would have loved to have seen a photo of the Gillaroos or a match report or a bit more detail about what happened in that game because I actually thought it was the better of the two games. Jen, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant display. And, yeah, I was toggling through the channels uh, earlier in the evening going, where's this game? Where's this game? Mm. Is it on one of the other digital channels? But uh, then obviously I I figured out what was happening. Um, It's such a wonderful display. I mean, uh, not that I've seen a photo, but uh, Pam Whaley writes about Gillaroo's Captain Rowan Sims. She was sitting in the press conference last night with a black eye. You know, it's such a physical game. Uh, these girls are incredible. Unfortunately, you know, they went they went down to the Kiwis last night. But um, but it is, I mean, on one hand, we can be thankful that Channel 9 did show the game. That's mm-hmm. a huge step forward. Uh, you know, we've, we've just got to keep taking these steps. It, it is in the paper. You know, maybe next time the, the Telegraph's uh, moving in leaps and bounds. They've got the swoop column now. They've got Fee in there um, leading the charge. So, you know, I think it's really hard because we've got these amazing women's sports that we want to showcase and and it is really hard to get it airtime. And, but, I, but I think bit by bit we're, we're starting to, to claw away. I know it's not as, as much as we should be seeing, but... Um, but it is a start and hopefully the more we talk about it and the more, you know, pe- people start to recognise what's going on that, that it does change. No, Jen, I think I am just a bit cranky this morning because I'm tired. But, but I'm that's, tired. We know why you're tired. But that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. I mean, to at least have it televised is a really big step and to have it in the paper, even in a small amount, 
is a good step. So hopefully next time we see it live, we see a photo in the paper and I can wear my Jill Aroos jersey to the game. And in terms of, you know, photos in the paper, there is this pic of Karina Brown, which is on Twitter, and she just played out of her skin. Mm-hmm, she she did. incredible. She mm. was so strong. She got her second in, you know, the dying minutes of the game. And there is this photo of her on Twitter where she's so strong, so fit. It is just an incredible image, you know, a, a sport, a live sport image. And that photo just absolutely should have had a place in the papers. Here's my question. Do you think there's any um, – any? do we need, like, the, the male journos? We need the male media members. We need the other male sportsmen to – Do they? is it bad to need their support? Because it feels like it's women driving the, the want and the need for women's sport to get the coverage that it deserves. Um, you have Pam in the paper covering that story. I would not be surprised if she was handing that because she was a girl. Um, unfortunately, there's that mentality in media where, oh, it's women's sport, you give it to the girl. The guys are not stepping up and giving it the coverage that it deserves. Oh, I think a lot of the the male journos are behind women's sports. They it's are. just convincing editors and that to get it on the yeah, front page. Yeah, it comes from higher up. Neil Breen is constantly, you know, doing great stories that, you know, they'll get a run on the Today Show or, you know, he's a big netball supporter. But getting it into that 6 p.m. time slot mm. is mm. hard. Even, even we struggle, you know, in the 7 p.m. bulletin at ABC, but... But we are we are changing and mm-hmm. we're getting more in. And, and I think, I know it might appear that way because Pam's written the mm-hmm. story, but I think a lot of our male rugby league journos are really on board, uh, especially, you know, that those, you know, core rugby league reporters uh, are behind women's sport. It's it's more the editors and the people further up the chain mm-hmm. that you've sure. got to convince. You know, the, the journos don't put the paper layout together. It's, mm. it's another person. That's so. right. It what? can be so crushing with TV as well when, you know, not not with Seven, um, but just in other places where <laughs> I've been before when you hear we're running out of time, drop the netball, drop this, and it's just they focus on what audiences are looking at and it's just so difficult when I do understand that their interests are in what are our audiences interested in, what do they need to hear and it's, you know, you, you do kind of understand where editors are coming from when they do have to look at numbers and they've got stats and things like that. But just it's so crushing sometimes when you hear, you give them drop a the netball, yeah, drop it's, this. It's hard to give it a chance. Netball has a great audience it, on Fox. It does really well. And yeah. um, a really big, you know, women, families, like they, it's a, it's a really strong sport. You know, Queensland Firebirds sell out pretty much mm-hmm. every game. Um, but you're not really giving a chance for, uh, these women to become household names if they're not going to get the exposure that that's uh but that I think it's deserve. changing like um absolutely you know, you're in right the five it's years baby I've steps but it's happening Sydney, yes mm. like now we've got you know the telegraph's got swoop and they've employed mm. Fee Bolland who's led the way at big league you know um that there's a lot of there's a lot more female sports reporters out there but I think female sport is also and I just can't wait for the day when this isn't a debate anymore. Yeah, we don't need you to know, talk about it anymore. Hey, there's girl, girl reporters who can talk about rugby league. Let's write That's a story it. about it. Or, hey, there's girls who can play sport as well, or women. You know, it's I just can't wait for the day where it's not a story. Because in our everyday world, it's it's not. We're all equals out there. So, um, mm. so yeah, it's it's one. But uh, maybe maybe less talking about the, the kangaroos being old gentlemen and, and we could have put an extra story about the Jillaroos in there. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think anyone that watched last night's game would have been so impressed. So the names that really stood out for me were, were Kezi Apps, number 11. She was absolutely outstanding. Uh, Lucy, you mentioned 
you mentioned Karina Brown, who was also excellent. Ruan Sims led from the front and just played so bravely. Maddie Studden, number seven, our fantastic little halfback. And Samini Bremner, speedy from behind. She was outstanding. I think we've we've spoken a lot about the women's game. We haven't said much about the men's game, but I don't think there's too much to be said. I mean, the men played well. They beat New Zealand, who had a lot of people missing, including Vaduvai, RTS, Luke, Mannering, SKD, Jared Warrior Hargraves. Um yeah, it was it was an okay game. I actually had a little bit of a nap in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's caught a bit of criticism, but great to see uh, for New South Wales supporters, Gal, man of the match. Uh, mm-hmm. That was great to see his first game back for the Kangaroos uh, since in a couple of years. But I was a bit offended because I just turned 31 and, and they're talking about how many players in our team are over 30 and how old and tired they're looking. So uh, so although it, it, it does bode well for, for the New South Wales fans amongst us that, that those Queensland core group are, mm. are getting a bit uh, old in the legs. But, uh, yeah, while there wasn't a lot to say about the game, uh, Phil Gould had a lot to say about the game and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Mal Meninga had a lot to say about that. So no doubt that debate's not going to go away anytime soon. But I think being around the camp this week, there's a real shift towards, you know, restoring pride in, in that jersey and uh, making the tests. I know we were talking about it before we, we came on air. There's there's not a lot of scope to see Australia play um, tests in, in the calendar because the rugby league season is so busy. But uh, great to see 27,000, almost 28,000 in Newcastle last night. Um, we've got the City Country game this weekend as well. So, uh, but Mal Meninga is really trying to to create a cultural shift uh, in that Kangaroos team and and uh, leading in uh, to the World Cup and that uh, later in the year. Another coach that is leading a cultural shift at the moment, I would say, is Brad Arthurs at Parramatta. So let's start with the positive out of what's happened at Parramatta this week. I think the positive is coach Brad Arthur and the way that he's handled the entire situation and the courage and the togetherness that our squad has shown has been probably the only takeaway that I would take out of this week. You'll all know that the penalty was announced in relation to Parramatta salary cap breaches earlier in the week, million-dollar fine, loss of 12 points, uh, the deregistration of five senior officials, although that's a bit up in the air at the moment, and most devastatingly, the loss of our Auckland Nines title. Um, Look, as a supporter, as a, you know, firm, dedicated Parramatta Eel supporter, how are you feeling right now? Are you disheartened? How are you? Okay, so there are three emotions that have happened this week. The first was sadness and actual devastation when I was watching the press conference. Todd Greenberg came out and said, Parramatta have been cheating. And and that was like a knife to my chest that my club and and someone that I'm so proud to be associated with has been essentially rorting the salary cap for several years. I was also very sad for the coaches and the playing group because there's been no allegation at this stage that any of the players have done anything wrong. Then that very quickly turned to blind fury at anyone that has contributed to this happening at my club. Uh, my club has been crippled by, you know, factionalism at a board level for the last 10 years. And I would say that's really impacted what's happened here and, and power and greed has really caused what's happened here. And, and to anyone that's been involved in this, whether you're part of the current board or a previous administration, it's time for you to leave and never ever come back. The final thing, though, is that I'm sort of feeling a bit calmer today and hoping that the line in the sand has been drawn and that Parramatta fans can all now unite behind the team and Coach Arthur and we get a new board in and we work towards the future and building Parramatta into the powerhouse that it should be. How much relief have you had with the backflip where they were saying before that the five 
um, you know, board, mem- board members and executives would have to, you know, drop their legal action in order for, you know, the Parramatta Eels to, to enter back into the competition with points. How do you feel about that backflip now from the NRL? So relief is not a word that I would probably use. Disgust is actually more a word that I would use. Um, when these men went to seek the injunction, all I saw were five men looking to protect themselves. The focus at the moment should be absolutely to get the club under the salary cap and to save our season, whether that be to play finals football or whether that just be to play for points. Either way, it gives something for us to play for. So uh, I think the NRL looks a little bit flimsy doing that backflip, but I'm not really concerned with those five men. I just want them gone. Well, it's just amazing. You know, on Tuesday there was this real – revolution or like coming out that you know that the 12 from 15 hashtag started brad arthur spoke said you know it's bad but there's a glimmer of hope if we can get under the cap and and then as we saw this injunction was put in place now now maybe obviously the nrl hasn't you know they've they've thought they've had the backing to be able to to have these five stand down i guess it's like anything you have to let you know judicial process play out before you do impose a fine and everything the NRL has said is, is that it's preliminary. But I guess on Tuesday uh, it, it came across that those points would be stripped straight away. Now, usually you have five days to respond to breach notices. They've now given the eels four weeks. Now this is going to keep dragging on, but I guess it's, it's nothing that the eels aren't used to. It's been going on for the entire season. What's amazing this time round is that they've said that the salary cap breaches total $3 million since 2013 that that's a lot and and this is going to get even bigger because if if those payments if the players haven't paid tax on them you're going to see the Australian tax office get involved uh Dennis Fitzgerald the former CEO was even calling on the police to get involved mm. so the, this is not going away anytime soon and and it has probably come at a at an all right time given that the, the players are on a break this week uh, we we've seen Anthony Watmo come out and said he would he would take the fall and uh, and retire if the NRL agrees to sanction that as a, a career-ending injury. That will work to bring them under the cap and make them cap compliant by next Friday night if the NRL agrees to backdate it mm. uh, because we understand that Anthony Watman is on about 700000 in that vicinity. So if they backdate it to, to the beginning of the season, that, that would wipe off and, and bring them back under the cap. Then there's the other, the fact that the Bulldogs have lost four points to Parramatta this year and uh, several other clubs have lost two points. Can't wait to hear Des Hasler's uh, chat this week at his press conference. He ran (laughs) about two kilometres to get away from the cameras the other day through the SFS car park, through through the bushes. Uh, He hid inside behind a door for half an hour uh, wanting (laughs) to escape the cameras. So There's so many parts of this. What's really interesting is we spoke to the Mayor of Parramatta and board member Paul Garrard the other day, and he was saying when Todd came to speak to the players was that he was saying they were getting their points taken away from them because they'd effectively been cheating every game they'd played this season. Now, what what I understand is, and and the board and that are trying to prove, is that, that they have been cap compliant this year. Now, whether or not they've been cap compliant, it still relates to all these third-party player payments that they didn't disclose to the NRL. So uh, so we haven't had much sleep this week, and I don't expect uh, us to get much sleep uh, over the coming weeks because uh, next week's South game is just the beginning, I think. Absolutely. I thought that was so strange because that's, you know, the Parramatta Lord Mayor, Paul Garrett, coming out and saying, you know, the NRL, this is so wrong. I'm sorry, but this has been years. This is your time to say 
this isn't right, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this, don't get up there and have a whinge because it's looking likely that he's going to be the new chairman of the board. Like what kind of direction are you putting the club in like that? The only person, I mean the person who stood up and taken leadership is Chuck Watmo, I think, because that has just been fantastic. I know it comes at a good time for him. It's it's convenient timing in that he's been injured, he's got his knee injury, he's saying his body's too old really for NRL, but for him to stand up and say, I will do anything for this club, that is going to restore faith in, you know, faith in the team, faith in the supporters that the players, you know, they're there, they're focused on the game and they are willing to make sacrifices to make it right again. Well, I think that's something else that's frustrated me this week. People that are blaming the NRL, people that are blaming the media for this witch hunt. The Parramatta Eels, we have done something wrong. I want someone to come out and accept responsibility and say we made a mistake. It's not good enough. It's not only incompetence, but it's cheating. This is fraud um, Mm. and someone needs to come out and accept responsibility. But I'm hopeful that you know, this can be resolved as quickly as possible and that the, the, the team can sort of move forward and that the fans unite behind the club and the players who who have done nothing wrong. I'm a bit sad now, so we might take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk football because there's a fairy tale to be spoken about. And while it's been a nightmare week in rugby league, it's certainly been a week of fairy tales in football. We're now joined by our friend Tara Rushton to talk us through what's been a fantastic week. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, oh, so much love for football, the round ball sport at the moment. Of course, the A-League Grand Final capped off at Adelaide Oval, over 50,000 people in Adelaide bringing back a championship trophy for the first time in 22 years. It's been a really long time between drinks, um, in general for sport in Adelaide as well. And, um, of course, with uh, Leicester, unbelievable, 132 years, and there they are. They're the, they've, they've won the Premier League, and it's such a rags-to-riches story. So uh, there's a lot of love around football at the moment, you've got to say. No, absolutely. And I think what's been fantastic is that so many people that aren't traditional football fans have really been getting around both Adelaide and Leicester City, in particular Leicester City, though, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think um, any fair-weather fans have definitely jumped on the Leicester train and and jumped on the bandwagon. I think it also helps considering... uh, Interestingly, that their investors, um, Valesca City, are, are based in, in Thailand, and I think he's the fourth richest person in Thailand and own all the King Power duty free. So basically, the Foxes have become the most popular team this season in the whole of Thailand, which is um, pretty interesting. Um, but I just don't know how you can't get around the story. 5,000 to 1 at the beginning of the season, and um, I think I read something that. 5,000 to 1 odds they put on Elvis still being alive, which is uh, slightly bizarre. But it's just been such an amazing story, such a beautiful story. You can't help but get behind them. And it's something that, you know, it instills that feeling that you can dare to dream that anything is possible, especially in the Premier League where it seems that money buys the best players and money buys the best managers. But um, Claudio Ranieri and his side really showed that that's not necessarily true. And Tara, I read yesterday that Claudio Ranieri's is asking the Leicester City players to stay on for one more year. Do you think he'll be able to preserve his team and, and how do you think Leicester will be able to back up next year? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So I guess what people and, and I've get the management, the owners of the club have come out and said, we need to enjoy this moment. What we've done is really important. We need to enjoy this moment. Then on the other side, you have players, managers, such as Riyad Mahrez, who scored um, 18 goals for the Foxes, was the PFA Player of the Year. Not PFA, but the Player of the Year over in England. His manager came out and said it's 50-50 that he will leave next season. It's going to be a tough job. Of course, they're going to have to give them and 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 look at their contracts. It would be amazing if they could, but you've also got to look at the teams around them. Um, new coaches coming in, new managers coming in, I mean. Pep Guardiola to Manchester City. You already kind of people are going, Manchester City are going to win next season. Um, people will boost the teams around them because they have to stay competitive. It would be amazing if they could keep that team together, though. But I also feel like this this is the one-off moment. Um but if you know, it's in it's in the managers of the players' interests, of course, to hustle and be competitive and try and get their players the best deal. But you can already hear and see that there's murmurings that players are already being shopped around. It's so interesting, Tara. I guess uh, especially with you know all the talk we've had this week around the NRL salary cap and that. But just expanding on what you were saying about Elvis, I loved it. Lee Ross, who's this punter from Geelong, he put five dollars on it. He's sixty-one um, when they were a thousand to one, and he's five thousand dollars richer. But as you said, the, the odds at the beginning of the season was that they were five thousand to one outsiders. Um, and it was yeah. more likely than Elvis who died. And finding the Loch Ness Monster is actually 500 to 1. So, <laughs> so it's, it's quite incredible and it's such a wonderful story. And, yeah, Lee Ross, the 61-year-old uh, fan, uh, I wonder how he'll be spending that $5,000 this weekend. I mean, that's probably the biggest payday he's had in a really long time. Yeah. He'd be happy with a big tray. But <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is such a beautiful story. It's really you can't not get excited and it's such a rags to riches, not just for the club, but also Jamie Vardy. The things that they've done are really, really interesting. It's the billionaire, the Thai billionaire that owns the club and has invested in the club. Incredibly heavy, heavy since 2010. He changed the culture around the team. Thai monks came in and blessed the stadium. You had Thai monks coming in and meditating during home games. It's kind of phenomenal. There's been this real shift in the team. Claudia Renuri, um, was pretty much came to this job off a really, really bad time in Greece. He was sacked. It was his 27th job as a coach. Uh, Leicester City the season before um, barely won any games. I think they won three games the season before and they only lost three games this season. So it's been a remarkable turnaround, but really remarkable as well as how Claudio Ranieri really mustered his team and mustered his troops and what he created with what he had. Tara, it's Mel here. Um, I just have a question back to the Wanderers, though. Um, A big, big, big news over the last couple of days is that big exodus of players. How do you think they're shaping up going into next season and how will Popovich be able to, you know, maintain that standard of football that they've been able to cultivate over the last few seasons? Interesting, Mel. Like, I think I felt like Romeo Castle was on the way out and I think... Popper is an interesting character. He's a tough coach. I mean, and I feel like within the dressing room, if you're a little bit on the nose and he, how to say, he knows who's kind of on board with him and his philosophy, etc. And there are certain players that are and certain players that aren't. So I had a feeling that Romain Castle would go. I was a little bit surprised maybe about Andreu. Um, but he's done it before. He did it the season before when he had a complete and utter clear out. He basically kept four players. Uh, they finished second last, and then this season they finished second. So there's 
no doubt in my mind that Popper will not leave the Western Sydney Wanderers before he wins the championship. I, I think that, yeah, and I, I feel like he won't go out without winning that. There's a lot of pride and there's a lot of, for him, he'll, he'll, wanna, he'll want that in the trophy cabinet. They've been incredibly successful as a team in their four-year history, but I don't, it doesn't, by any means, I know there's been a bit of a clear-out, not a clear-out really, but players have left, but that he won't be worried about that at all. You can already see in the first week of the A-League finishing, there's been player movement um, all over the shop. So the Wanderers, I think they'll be there or thereabouts next season and that'll be a burning desire for Popper to make sure it's, it's not the bridesmaid yet again. Sorry, changing tact a little bit. Um, last week, again, there were flares yet again let off and about 30 seats were you know, ruined. What did, what would you do with these players, um, with, sorry, with these supporters that are obviously so enthusiastic and that's fantastic, but there are the few people that are really, you know, ruining it for everybody and just, it doesn't matter what the players say, it doesn't matter what anybody says, they just keep misbehaving. It's really, it's such, it's such a hard one because I looked at the stance that the FSA took and said, generally, Across the board, we were really happy with fan behaviour. And I think it was really, really tough because in terms of a spectacle, in terms of the season that we had, yeah, ratings were a little bit down. Yeah, bums on seats were a bit down. There was a bit of a dour feeling at the start of the season. To end in the fashion that it did at Adelaide Oval with over 50,000 people, the Sea of Red and the Wanderers, who were such passionate fans and they travel, it was like such a euphoric high. And it was like, yes. This is amazing. This is so great. Oh, boo to the supporters. And I think the FFA probably had a little bit of a moment of going, oh, my God, this is, we have to keep this euphoric feeling and, and remain really optimistic and upbeat about how we finished the season and capped off which in terms of what's happened on the pitch and the quality of the game and the players that have been on earth have, has been better than many, many seasons that I've watched, better than the two seasons before. Um, it's a worry because the Wanderers are on a suspect. They've already got the suspended three competition points. They've already been fined $50,000 for the fans let off, the 20 flares and the detonators. They should be made to pay for the seats. You can't, you can't do that. I think, I don't know how many repairs are needed, but they're, I mean, the seats were terrible. It's not the seats of the problem. Flares are illegal. Um, so I, I do think, regardless of the fact that I think it's, it's because it came straight after the grand final, it, it was a bit, I, we don't want to come down too heavy and then dock points looking into next season. But it's really, really hard because the players therefore suffer for, it's not it's not the, the RBB, it's not this big bunch of people, it's literally one or two people. There were two kids I know at Amy Park that were off flares. They were kids. I've been at Allianz Stadium where people... That, um, the Cove basically made a citizen's arrest and kicked out people that weren't their supporters. Um, they do need to come down hard. Basically need to find the perpetrators and get them out of the game. It can't be a, we're going to do this to the whole team and then you guys are going to suffer next season. That's what really hurts the game. They have to find out the perpetrators that are doing it and get them out because they're not, they're not wanted and they're, they're not invited, they're not welcome, they're not football supporters. And it's such a shame, Tara, that that happened, particularly after what was a fantastic grand final. But I think what's been great has been the focus this week on the fairy tale that has been football. So I just want to say, like, enjoy enjoy your sport. It's just been wonderful and it's been great chatting with you this morning about it. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it, it continues. It's going to be pretty special to see Leicester play their final game of the season at home to Everton. And, you know, how amazing for them to... Um, 
be lifting the trophy. And yeah, it's it's been a, a really amazing season. I think it's blown everyone away. You couldn't have written it any better. So. It's been phenomenal. No, great. And I'll be uh, staying up again tomorrow night to watch that game. Uh, I was so tired on Monday morning last week that instead of catching the bus to the city, I caught the bus to Chatswood. So (laughs) (laughs) that's what football did to me last week. But um, it was well worth it. Thanks so much, Tara. And now we're lucky enough to be joined by Matilda Stryker, Michelle Heyman. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. That's good. Thank you for making the time because I know that preparation for the Matildas Rio campaign started this week. How is camp going? It was just amazing to be back with the girls. It's been like a hard maybe month and a bit trying to train by ourselves in the off season. So getting back with the team has just um, made everything so much easier for us. And can I ask how you feel the Olympic qualifiers like, do you feel that those Olympic qualifiers were your breakout games at an international level, especially against such high-quality opposition? Uh, most definitely. I think um, it was the first time that I've actually had confidence and belief in myself, and I think you could see that on the field, and it was actually nice to enjoy it and not be so stressed out. I usually put a lot of stress on myself, so I've, I think over the years I'm starting to learn actually how to be a professional footballer. <laughs> Michelle, the whole country is just getting behind the Matildas. They've had an amazing two years and it's wonderful to see you getting such recognition in the in the community now. Now, tell me, what was your reaction to the pool the Matildas have been named in for Rio? So it's been named the pool of death, but I don't think that you guys are the underdogs anymore. Yeah, most definitely. I was pretty stoked with it. I didn't think it was too bad of nice. a draw <laughs> compared to like the World Cup one. So I was just like, well, um, I believe that we're a lot better than what we were during the World Cup and um, the games, the teams that we played against then were a lot tougher tougher than this group. So I feel pretty confident and um, I have the belief in the team that we can do well. So I was, yeah, chuffed about it. Yeah, well, no, that's exactly what I want to hear. And someone else that was quite chuffed was Lisa Devana. It's been so wonderful to watch her on the field and I've said a number of times that I don't think she's leaving Rio without a medal. She's just not going to come home. Oh, most definitely. That girl, like, this is all that she's been waiting for so long. And she finally, like, can feel it within the team. She said that she has um, just, like, more belief in what we had compared to when she went 12 years ago. So that coming from her has just put more belief in myself and just belief in the team that actually we can do this. And I think um, the passion that Devana has for our team and just for football in general is just incredible and something that you can always use on and off the field. So, um, yeah, she's just one of them great girls that you actually need to have in your team. Absolutely. And another person that has a lot of passion for women's football is your coach, Alan Stadjik, who's been working in women's football for 10 to 15 years. Can you tell us what he's like as a coach? Uh, He's awesome, actually. He just, he knows so much about ourselves as well. Like, the football side of us and even personal stuff back home. So it's kind of nice that you can have like a friend who is going to coach you and give you all these skills to become a a better footballer. I think he just, he works so well with us and especially he has the experience um, with females in sports. So it's just so nice to have someone who understands the game and understands what we need and how much we can do 
before we break. <laughs> he gets it. And Michelle, there are so many superstars in your team. Who are your tips to watch for Rio? Who should I be keeping my eyes on? Um, most definitely the usual characters like Steph Catley, Katrina Gorey and Lydia Williams. <laughs> um, without those, our team wouldn't be as feisty and as just like have that creative mindset to it. So, um, yeah, Lydia Williams is always my favorite. Oh, fantastic. Now, Michelle, I also want to ask about some of the fun you've been having this year off the field. So I saw that the Matildas met Malcolm Turnbull and that you've appeared on Play School. Can you tell us about that? Play School is the best day of my life. (laughs) I think (laughs) I remember when I was little watching it. So um, for me to go on that show, my mum was pretty proud. She was very happy. She said that I've made it. (laughs) I've made it big as soon as you get on Play School. So we just like went to... It was at ABC Studios and we just went there and we had to sing um, If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands, which was, it was very tiring. I'm not a great singer, so it was tough, but it took us maybe like three hours. We got there at the end of the day. It was, it was good fun. It was really nice. Three hours just to do one song? Yes. So we just had to sing that one song. If you're happy, do you not know, clap your hands. And then we had to jump and then shout hooray and put them all together. When you put it all together, it's pretty tough. I don't know how the kids went with it, but hopefully they did it better than me. That sounds grueling, Michelle, but I have to ask Play School, what's your favourite window? <laughs> that's the, that's the question was, on the table here. I know, and I'm pretty sure it was. I think it was the arch. Jeez, <laughs> that's really taking me back. That's taking me back. I love that uh, Play School outranked the Prime Minister as well. That's really good. <laughs> hey, Michelle. Oh, my God. I don't care. <laughs> Michelle, how hard's it been? You know, you guys are so excited heading into Rio, but, you know, the Ollie Roos missed out. Has it been, uh, has it been tough and are the boys uh, giving you guys support every step of the way? Yeah, most definitely. I think that we're a big family now, which is, it's a nice feeling to come under the same banner as the guys as well for us all to be one, which is nice. So um, I think the Socceroos gave us a lot more credit than what the Ollie Roos have. I haven't heard much from them yet, but hopefully um, they've got all the support for us. So um, yeah, it's just an amazing feeling for football in general for Australia, I think. Maybe they're still a bit bruised that you guys made it and they didn't. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be Most cheering definitely, for you when Rio comes around. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Michelle, what were the biggest lessons that the team took away from the Women's World Cup? Um, I think the biggest one was just that we can do it, that we are better than what we've been told over the years and that the team that we have, if we just um, play as a team and believe in each other, then we can set out to achieve all of our goals. And that's one thing that our group definitely has learnt and took in. And it's just a a great atmosphere that we have with the group. It's more family orientated now instead of cliques and things like that. So I think we've all become one and just we just want to work hard for each other and get the same goal. And Michelle, what's it been like with the Australian public who are now so behind the Matildas? Have you had any fantastic fan moments that you want to share with us? Most definitely. I think um, lately I've been doing my own coaching clinics and I've just had one mum who just keeps helping me so much. Her name's Sarah and she just 
constantly wants better for women in football because she wants her daughter to one day be a Matilda. And she's like, if I can start here with you and help you with um, anything that I need in life, then hopefully by the time her daughter comes around, um, it's a lot easier for them to have a full-time job as a footballer. So this mum, she's just helping me out constantly with my coaching clinics, with my merchandise that I'm trying to sell. She's just putting her foot down and just thinks the absolute world about me and thinks that I'm a great role model for her um, daughter. So just hearing those things from her has, yeah, I think she's my biggest fan. <laughs> I, re- I remember when I was growing up, um, we the, the girls – soccer um, from Bathurst we used to play on the really bad ovals that had all the bad pitches that flooded first we didn't have referees our parents had to be the referees um, because the boys got all the proper referees and they got the best ovals and and it's it's there's been such a change now and and for all those little girls out there you know to have you guys to aspire to it's it's so exciting most definitely because even growing up um, I played in the boys league and I never met another female player until I think I was 18. So um, now just to see that we have leagues of under sixes and up from girls is just incredible. And just, yes, I think the game's changed so much since I was young. So I'm really looking forward to um, the future for the Matildas and just for women's football, actually, in general. And Michelle, I also wanted to ask you about the importance of sport as a tool to promote important social messages. So I know that I've really looked up to you as a role model for being an openly gay athlete. How has the reaction been to that? And have people seen you as a role model for that? Most definitely. Um, I think that was the main thing that I wanted to get across for myself because growing up being gay, I actually was a little bit scared to become a a professional athlete because I didn't want to get judged by parents or by other teammates or anything like that. But um, I think how I did it, I just, I wanted to be me and I couldn't hide that from anyone or myself. So even my mum sat down with me and we had like a whole chat and she was like, not everyone will understand who you are and why you are like this, but if you just be yourself and believe in yourself and be proud of who you are, then I think most parents will see the best out of you and go from there. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to be me and just go with it. And I've never hid anything about myself. And I think I'm a great role model being gay or straight. I still believe that um, I put the point across that to be um, a professional athlete, you just have to be happy and enjoy what you're doing and make sure that you work hard and life is going to be full of sacrifices to become the best that you can be. But I think um, doing that, it's just, I think being a role model is the best thing about my job. It's what I, I want to show that. I want to I want kids to be happy with themselves and just grow up and live the life that they want to live and not to be scared. That's what I try and put out. <laughs> it's so wonderful, Michelle. Congratulations. It's, uh, it's, you know, such an important message and it's great that, that you're standing up for yourself and so many athletes uh, will look up to you as, as well as just everyday people um just uh, mary's given us some briefing notes here it, it says tell us the significance of your tattoos these particularly are a great story the elephant <laughs> I, i'd like to know about that before we let you go yeah um okay so uh the reason why i play soccer is my cousin we're three months apart and he grew up playing and his dad so my uncle was a coach and a referee and things like that so 
the one reason why I play soccer is I wanted to hang out with him. We've been best friends since day dot. <laughs> and um, when he was turning 25, he thought he had a migraine and went to hospital and actually passed away of a stroke and blood clots. So the elephant um, represents my cousin Aaron and elephants stick together as a pack and always are with each other and that represents me and him. So it's got a little quote on it as well and it says, I may not see you but I feel you. So it just relates back to everything that we had and to make sure that um, I keep living my dream because the reason why I play was because of him and I just want to keep making him proud. Well, that's beautiful and no doubt he's with you uh, every day and uh, every time you run out on the field. Most definitely. I make sure I talk to him before every single (laughs) um, game. I actually like sit there in my locker room and just tell him to look down on me and make sure that today's going to be a good day. I'm like, if you can, try and put the ball in the back of the net for me. If it's going to miss, just like help me out. <laughs> Nothing like a bit of divine intervention, hey? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I just need his spirit around. So that's, yeah, that's the elephant. Michelle, it has been an absolute joy talking to you. When I told my friends that I was going to have Michelle Heyman on my show, they described you as a nonstop smile and I've got to be in complete agreement with them. Congratulations on the Matildas. Congratulations on being a role model. And we look forward to watching you kick butt at Rio. Thank you so much. And while she say that, I'm smiling on the phone right now. Oh, <laughs> I can't get it off. See, we were right. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. And now for my favourite segment, Mary's Mix-Up. The first thing that I wanted to talk about was the GWS Giants and their massive defeat of Hawthorne last week by 74 points. It was sensational to see the Giants win so dominantly and I was out at Spotless Stadium and just had a wonderful time. They've got a big game against Fremantle tomorrow. I wouldn't write off the Dockers uh, because the Giants have been pretty impressive at home but not so impressive away from home and have lost by an average of I think 52 points each time they've played over at Domain Stadium. So fingers crossed for the Giants win and we'll see how they go. The other story that I wanted to mention this week was a shout out to my friend John Tuxworth who lives in Canberra and wrote a beautiful story about Josh Papali from the Canberra Raiders this week. Um, in Josh Papali's locker, he has a picture of a young fan who lost his battle to cancer and his name is Jack. Uh, Josh finds this picture a source of inspiration and has the motivational quote, good players inspire themselves and great players inspire others, which I really loved. And I think it ties nicely into the launch of the NRL's Voice Against Violence campaign. So you would have seen the ads last night featuring Mal Meninga and Matt Scott during the break of the test game. And, And I love when sport is used to promote positive social messages. So big shout out to the NRL and a big shout out to John Tuxworth and the Canberra Raiders. And the final thing I wanted to mention was the Sydney Swans, who earlier this week announced that they will not be bidding for a women's football team in 2017. Uh, The Swans came out and said that the club is unable to provide the necessary infrastructure to host a women's team and that instead the club is committed to broadening female participation at all levels of AFL. This is in contrast to the GWS Giants, who put their bid in last week for a women's team. I wanted your thoughts, everyone, on this because I'm curious as to how the Swans don't have adequate resources when they're a club that is much more established and a lot bigger than the GWS Giants. Look, I think in that way, 
it must have been a stats and numbers business decision. But I think it's incredibly disappointing. GWS, that's a fantastic commitment and they stand in a better position now to win one of, not to win, but to gain one of the um, eight licenses. But it's just so disappointing in the way that it would have been a fantastic, you know, step forward if the Swans could have put their money and their, you know, all the resources that they do have behind this team. They've had a lot of time mm-hmm. to prepare. It's not like this was, hey, you've got a date to decide. They've had a lot of time and I feel like there might be more behind that decision. Um, to say we are still committed to, you know, women's AFL and to improving that, they actually didn't say how or why or when or for what reasons. They just, it, I don't know, it wasn't very invested. I, I think there's, um, you know, it's really clear to me the Swans have a great fan base, very big, very established. The team is doing great. They have been for several seasons in a row now. Um, they have an academy, so them saying they don't have the resources mm. is a little bit, oh, I don't know. Um, but then you also have to say they are contributing a lot. I think Jude Bolton is the spokesperson for AFL Nines, which is the smaller version of the competition, and I know several of my female friends compete in that, and it is something that the Swans heavily involved in um, in supporting. But GWS, they have to grow a fan base. And if that means getting uh, women from the Western suburbs and stuff into a team to compete on a national stage, then why wouldn't they get involved? Makes sense. Yeah, I think there's, uh, uh, I guess, a lot more to, to know what went on behind that decision. I think uh, that their excuse, you know, left left unanswered questions and, you know, that disappointed factor comes through in that it was great to see that women's game between the Swans and GWS be played mm. at the SCG uh, um, earlier in the season. It, it was fantastic for, for the women to have that opportunity. But uh, no doubt this is something that will probably the Swans will be scrutinised for. And uh, as you said, GWS need to grow that fan base. But the Swans do do a lot in the community and uh, and for women's sports. So um, it's something that I think maybe, you know, it'll be interesting the next board meeting that comes around and, and when reporters are really able to get in there and, and quiz some of the, the hierarchy to, to find out how this decision came about, whether it's, you know, older you know older older ideas within the club that or or if it's a matter that they really want to direct their their resources to growing the game as you said in the nines and and that sort of respect and i think that's what fans would have liked to have seen if if they're committed to broadening female participation and they're already doing those things then come out and say it because then the messaging appears to be a lot better. A shout out to SBS Zillow though, before I finish off this segment, because they published a story this week about the eight reasons to be excited that the women's AFL competition is starting. My favourites were that out of the 18 clubs, 13 already want to get in early with their own women's team and young women with a passion for AFL will have the same sporting opportunities as the boys. Final topic I wanted to talk about, Mel, since we've got you in the studio this morning, I've heard that it's been Australia's best ever performance in an NFL draft. So exciting, Mary. That's true. Um, We had two Australians that were taken in the NFL draft, one in the second round, Mm. Adam Gotsis. He's going to the Super Bowl champion, Denver Broncos. Very exciting. That's the highest pick in Australia Australia has ever produced. And in the seventh round, um, a punter, Lachlan Edwards, uh, was taken by the New York Jets. So we have two guys that were drafted. And in the aftermath, um, basically all the other eligible guys, almost all of them, uh, were picked up and signed as undrafted free free agents. So, um, yeah, very exciting times. We've got one in, in San Francisco, one in Cleveland, um, two in New York with the Jets, and one in Denver. 
That's outstanding. Uh, Mel, I have to ask, is there a particular position that Australian players are, are, are more seen to be good at? I, I've heard that punters mm. are the Australian position. They want guys that can kick like Aussies. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You look at American football, there's not a whole lot of, um, I guess the stars of the show are the ones that are catching and throwing. Um, the kickers or the punters, they're not as valued, uh, um, <laughs> but it is still an art. I don't know if you've ever held or thrown or kicked an American football, but those things are heavy and hard. Are they? Yeah, and they are not easy to kick. So if you have no skills in that arena, which is not something that they teach to all the guys on the team because you usually just have one job, um, then that becomes a very valuable skill. And our guys who play Aussie rules or even rugby league, they kick and catch and pass and throw. Like you you're taught to do it all. Mm. So um, the skill level there is huge. And, of course, Pro Kick Australia have had a big um, role in bringing over a lot of guys who maybe didn't make it to the AFL but were still in those pretty good higher grades back home, um, brought them over to the college in the U.S., got a free education, and um, hopefully a lot of them, yeah, they have gone on to have NFL careers. Do you think this has anything to do with, you know, off the back of the Jared Hayne, you know, dream story or has this been something that's been building for a long time? Um, I've been following NFL for a few more years than Jared Hayne's been in the game, that's for sure. But these guys have actually got more experience than than Jared. Um, he's done a lot in terms of bringing NFL to the forefront in Australia and making it something that people are actually taking notice of a lot more than they used to. However, you know, guys like Adam Gotts, he's been in college for four years. Before that, he was playing uh, locally in, for Monash in Victoria, in the for Gridiron of Victoria. Um, so, you know, you're talking about four, five, six, six, seven years playing. Um, and he's just been going through the system, which is the more... Um, <laughs> The more more commonly taken route to the to the NFL, definitely. So, um, if you've had an eye on that that on their development, you can see that there was a couple of Australians coming through with a lot of you know good qualities and perhaps were NFL um, uh, talent. How about Jesse Williams? He just had a blow to his career, but he is it's really one of the lesser told stories, but he's such an inspiration having overcome cancer last year and just pushed through. Mm. He, you know. Why do you think that's such a – it's an underdog story, but why do you think so few people know about what this Australian is doing over mm. there? Well, he's he's obviously – yeah, he overcame, um, I think it was cancer in his kidney, so he had a kidney removed um, and was able to play in preseason last year and stuff like that. And he looked like he was he was looking good, but then they put him on the injured list and in the off-season they actually cut him, Seattle, so he's no longer in the NFL um, however, he has had a great story. Leading into being in the NFL, he was at Alabama, which is one of the top schools you can go to in college in America to play football. Um, he had a successful career there, got in the NFL. Unfortunately, he never actually, this is a bit of trivia for you, he never actually played a regular season game. So despite being in, with Seattle since 2013, um, never played a game. However, when Seattle won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, he got a ring, so he became the only person, the only Australian to win a Super Bowl ring without ever having stepped on the field during a regular season game. Now that's a story, uh, Mel. I also want to ask, what impact do you think the growing level of Australians in the NFL will have on coverage in Australia and support of the NFL amongst the Australian fan base? I think it's going to help immensely. What was great about Jared Hayne was that um, he was in a position where he can score, where he can have quite a lot of highlights, you know, exciting moments that people can get on board with. Punters have amazing skills, but maybe it's not as sexy and mm. as appealing. 
the fact that we've got guys who are playing on the offensive line and Blake Muir at the 49ers who got picked up after the draft and Adam Gotsis who's now with the Denver Broncos and he's expected to get game time because he's their second round pick um, on the defensive line. He's going to be hopefully making a lot of sacks, you know, intimidating quarterbacks. And that's going to be a lot more exciting for Australians back home to watch. Well, Mel, I look forward to um, chatting with more with you about NFL as we get closer to the season. We might have to do like a ladies who leave <laughs> introductory course to NFL because I'm, I'm getting excited. Yeah, no, it's um, it's not too far away. I think they go into training camp in July and then uh, some preseason games in August and hopefully a lot of our Australian guys will see some time in that and we'll get to see what they're made of. Coaches will decide on a final 53-man roster at early September and the season starts, I think, 10th or 11th, something like that. So, um. Yeah, September, it's not far away. It's all building up quite nicely. I'll put it in the diary and watch a bit more of Friday Night Lights <laughs> before then to try I and get myself up to speed. <laughs> yes, if yes. you're a newbie to NFL and, and like good television, <laughs> watch Friday Night Lights. That'll help you get ready for the season in September. It'll make you wish that Coach Taylor was your dad. <laughs> I could marry Tim Riggins. He's my favourite at the moment. Thanks, Mel. Never a quiet week in sport. Thank you all so much for coming in, Lucy. It's been a joy to have you. I've loved every minute. Thank you. I hope you come back soon. Please. And Jen, thank you also for making the time. I know it's been a very busy week for you. It has no doubt. Uh, we'll be chatting uh, uh, in the coming weeks about the Eels' ongoing saga. Hopefully things loved get every better. Love it too. Thanks, Jen. And Mel, you know that you're always welcome. Thanks for coming in again. Always a pleasure, Mary. Wonderful. Now, to all our listeners, if you could jump onto iTunes and give us a review, that would be amazing. Send me a tweet, send me a picture at Ladies Who League. We'd really love to get your thoughts on the show. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Australia Ladies, ladies.